0: three. We're going to be in verses 21 and 22, kind of just kind of slam on the brakes a little bit. So last week we, we read 1 through 20, and the weeks before we read about, you know, 30 verses in the last couple of weeks. And so we're slamming on the brakes and slowing down to two verses, uh, 21 and 22. And uh, so if you, if you grab your Bibles, uh, kind of hold your finger there. Uh, we're going to start in verse 21, 21 and 22. Um, but I wanted to, to talk about something this morning that um, we, we've, we've thrown around a bit, and I used to talk about a lot when I was a youth pastor, this, ta- this concept of having worldly thinking. You know, this, we have this worldly thinking, worldly thinking. Now, oftentimes, we, we kind of associate that with you know, carnal uh, thinking, you know, thinking about sin and thinking, you know, the way we think leads us to sin or leads us to wrong thinking in what we do, like wrong actions and stuff like that. Um, you know, setting our minds and, and but, you know, what's, what I want to talk about and reframe the way of, of when we think about worldly thinking, it's simply setting our minds, our, our logic, our way of being, our way of thinking, and our living on tangible physical things as the bible would call them things below or things beneath they're setting our mind on things that are lesser um rather than on eternal heavenly things as as paul would later say in in uh, galatians you're walking by the flesh that which is earthly that which is uh tangible that which is physical that which is we can feel taste Smell, touch, experience with our five senses. Unless you're that kid that can see, you know, uh, Bruce Willis and, you know, the sixth sense. You know, all these, these physical, tangible feelings and experiences, senses um, that make sense. You think about when you live life by your senses, things make sense. And that's what I'm talking about is we think it's it makes, you know, we think and only really live our lives by things that make sense because we can sense them with our five senses. Physical, tangible things. While heavenly things seem stupid and foolish, like, why am I praying? I'm like talking to myself. Like I'm talking out loud. This feels weird. It feels much more comfortable for me to just... Sit in, my, sit in my chair and just pray in my mind versus oftentimes there's power when you speak your prayers, but it feels silly sometimes, doesn't it? Like I'm just talking to the air, like what's going on? I feel silly right now. But we're talking and sensing God in our spirit. We're connecting to him in, the phys- in, in, the, in not just the physical realm, but the heavenly realms as well. And when you're praying in your mind, the, the demons can't sense those things. And so when you pray out loud, oftentimes you're praying the power of God over the spiritual realm, telling those demons to shut up and go back to hell by speaking the power of prayer over your reality. Speaking and praying in the spirit. Now, because oftentimes we can, we can what, what, I'm, what do I mean by this? Like, what is, what is this concept that we're talking about? Worldly thinking, worldly living, is just simply living life. For most of us, it's just living our life, you know, going to work and coming home and spending time with our families, you know, going and having hobbies, going on vacations, living our lives, everyday lives, just going going about the emotions, hanging out with people and doing these, these different things, is living life by our senses versus what are the times in our lives... That God wants to break through. We keep living our everyday lives, and one of my two favorite words in Scripture? Right. But God. <laughs> but God made you alive eternally. He made you not just physically alive, He made you eternally alive. As we like to call it here at Shift's Church, fully alive. This is the adventure that God has for you, is a life lived. Fully awake, fully alive. God's purpose for you is to live eternally extra. Because our ordinary spaces are packed with extraordinary. I love that word. Like not just, it's not just extraordinary, it's extraordinary. Like not like you know, more ordinary. But like above and beyond ordinary, those, those places in our lives, the ordinary spaces are packed with like extraordinary potential. So in our, in our scripture passage here, these, these scripture passages kind of go together. So you know, John's baptism, but specifically you know, Jesus' baptism in this passage, along with what is typically normally you know, associated as boredom, the genealogy, which we'll get into next week, but I'll show you why it's not that boring. It's actually really cool, and then into the temptation of Jesus. So the baptism, the voice from heaven, which we'll get to this morning, the genealogy and temptation that we get, that we're going to get into next week. Um, so this is going to be uh, Luke chapter three, verses twenty one to twenty two. Uh, so this is this is what's happening. Like what's going on? Like what's going on here? It says this: When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized, and he was praying. As he was praying. Heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, "You are my beloved son, with you, I am well pleased." Now what's going on here? What's going on in this scripture passage? This is a, a very public setting, uh, down by the river bank, you know down by the river. Bank. Um, so public setting, not just Jesus and, and John alone, but or is it? So we don't really know. It doesn't really tell us. It's a public setting, but are other people there and present uh, at the Jordan River? So this is the Jordan River. So this is a river that flows all the way from the top of, of Israel down, you know, down, basically straight down. It, it flows into the Sea of Galilee. And it continues flowing south, and it veers off to the east, southeast, and turns into the Dead Sea. So that's where it ends, is the Dead Sea, and it doesn't go anywhere. Um, and so, but this place that we're talking about is uh, traditionally in Bethany, east of Jerusalem, right there at the Jordan River, on the other side of the Jordan River, uh, basically just straight east from Jerusalem, just north of the Dead Sea. Um And so what what is happening in in this? You know, trying to kind of lay the setting here. So God first became a man. God himself took on human flesh, walked among us, was born of woman, born of mankind, and walked this earth up to this point, about 30 years, which we'll get to next week. He's About 30 years old right here. This is you know, before we, in our Christian faith, before we were, you know, could be baptized into His death, He would have to be baptized into our sin. So He is taking on flesh, and now He's in his, through His crucifixion, He is taking on our sin. with it With His baptism. Um, so as He was praying, as it says here, as as Jesus was. Uh, Jesus also was baptized as he was praying, heaven opened. Um, now, there, there is this element to, to baptism, this prayerful position. Now, first, I mean, as we talked about last week, I want to just kind of catch up here. What is baptism? Baptism, like we said last week, is simply being physically immersed into water. That's the, the kind of, if you look at it from the outside, that's the basic physical act of being plunged into water, and then brought back up. And this is, this is representation of being cleansed, being cleaned from sin. So if you, know, if you want to catch up on more of what baptism means, go, go back and listen to, our, to my sermon from last week uh, talk about what baptism is more specifically. But there's this, this element of prayer. As, as Jesus was, you know, was baptized into our, our flesh, into the worldly system, we are being baptized into him. There's this this spiritual element where we are entering into a spiritual reality, and that spiritual reality requires prayer. And Jesus is praying. And so we see this picture. What happens? What happens when he prays? What does it say? It says, heaven opened. Opened. You ever been you ever chewed on, on a piece of roast beef? You're just like sitting there, it's going. Just chewing for like days. I felt like this is where I was this week. I was chewing on this. This whole this this whole section, specifically this right here. You know, heaven opened and the spirit descended like a dove. I'm just sitting there for like an hour. Like chewing on that, like praying, like. Even, I had to text some people and talk to like, what in the world was going on? You know, because you, you know, there are some people, some faith traditions, where they're basically talking about, you know, like, like, a, like Jacob's ladder, like the heavens opened, kind of like Jacob saw the heavens opened, and the Spirit descended like Jacob's ladder. I've heard this preached, which I, I really like. So basically, you know, Jacob, when he was sitting, you know, waiting, and this was, you know, thousands of years before Jesus – Uh, Jacob is is running away from Esau. He he, he deceived and got his birthright, but he's like, he's sitting there. And all of a sudden he sees this ladder. He has a vision of this ladder coming down out of heaven. Heaven opened. The heavens opened up and this ladder descended and the angels were ascending and descending. I love this picture that the heavens were burst open. And the Holy Spirit descended in him. Like now, it says, like here, it descended on him in the physical appearance like a dove. Now, it's not actually a dove. Let, let me pinpoint that. This picture is not a dove. What we're seeing here is not a physical bird. We are seeing someone say, like the tongues of fire, well, it kind of looked like this the thing and like wow what a word! describe it man it's like it it looked like a bird look like like a dove that's basically as good as i can get because we have no base for how to explain this but he said it looked like a dove why is this significant that the heavens opened up and i feel like i'm preaching in the spirit right now because this was not even on my radar this week this is a totally off book, but it's right in line with what I feel like we're, where God is saying. The heavens opened up, and the Spirit descended like the ladder of the angels ascending and descending. And you know what they built on this place where Jacob saw this ladder and the angels ascending and descending from the heavens? The temple. They built the temple of God on Mount Moriah, where they, where, where they believed that, Jacob, that you know, Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac, and on the same place where the angels were ascending and descending. There was a special place physically on earth that a spiritual reality was able to be experienced, where God said, that is the place where I've chosen to to place my name, place my presence, place my spirit, place my blessings. And so what is the picture that we're seeing with Jesus? Jesus like the Temple Mount. They understood this. This is the breakthrough in, in the physical realm on a, of a spiritual reality walking on earth, you know, living on earth, dwelling on earth in this place, on this rock. The heavens burst open and the Holy Spirit, not just angels, the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, God's Holy Presence now came and resided on Jesus. So this proclamation is saying my Shekinah dwelling glory and presence is on him, is on Jesus. It's no longer in the temple. God's spirit left the temple hundreds of years before Jesus even walked the earth. And he's saying now my Shekinah glory presence, where I choose for my name to dwell is on and in Jesus. Like it says in Isaiah 11, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This is the picture right in front of them. This beautiful picture of glory, beautiful, strong picture of prophecy being fulfilled right there in their midst, whether it was a crowd or with John. Now I kind of think it was just John himself, because if it was everyone, they would have gotten it. And it seems like the rest of Jesus' ministry was basically about keeping that Messiah, the whole Messiah thing a secret, you know, because they had all these weird pre- preconceived notions. So I think it could have been just simply John and Jesus here in the river. Um, and it came through prayer, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and this concept of, of Jesus praying and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is a theme, is a big theme for Luke, as we've been seeing all these different people, you know, all the way from like you know, Zachariah and Elizabeth to Mary, and then and then you know, uh, what's his name? Simeon and Anna in the temple. Like God's Holy Spirit is starting to break out and go nuts. And now we see the Holy Spirit completely break through while Jesus is praying. And it's beautiful, this beautiful picture of the Trinity seen just right here in this one verse, chapter 22, the Holy Spirit descended on a physical appearance on Jesus as a dove. You are my beloved Son, Jesus. With you I'm well pleased. Who's the voice? The Father. So we see the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father in one verse. We see the Trinity being put on display for all to see. And this is a beautiful picture that God himself is declaring Jesus as his beloved son, which we'll get to in a second here. God in the flesh before their very eyes and fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. Now, there's three allusions from God's uh, message here. That First, this is, a, you know, this is a Davidic Messiah. It says, Psalm 2 says, I will declare the Lord's decree... He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. The second is Jesus as a suffering servant. 42.1, Isaiah 42.1, this is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice, flourishing, shalom to the nations. And number three, we are also seeing this picture of the beloved son. Like we talked about earlier with with Isaac. said, take your son. This is God speaking to Abraham. Take your son, God said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, he he didn't actually kill her. He was was about to. He had him laid out. You are tied up, and you got the knife, and God was like, no, 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 all right, all right, I see you're faithful. It's great. Okay, we're good. There's a goat, there's a, there's a goat over there. Just take that one. Thank you. I see your faith. I see, you know, I see you know, like, like the preacher, I see the hand. I see the... Faith. And we see this beautiful picture of that, and where do we see this fulfilled? Where do we see this beloved son motif fulfilled? What is the one verse in all of Scripture that everyone knows? Besides, you know, don't judge. Them, therefore, do not be judged. What is the number one verse that everyone knows? John three sixteen. Forget which I forgot to change the address. Sorry. For God so loved the world, in this way, he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus was the sacrifice. God did not stay his hand as he stayed Abraham's hand. He said, let it be done. Let Jesus be baptized in all of your sin, be baptized in all of your shame, be baptized in all of your guilt, all of your, what the Bible calls iniquity and evil. Let him be completely baptized in it and kill it nail it to the cross with him and destroy all of it. All of your sin. All of your guilt. All of your shame. All of your doubt. All of your self-doubt. So that anyone who believes in him will not perish, will not be destroyed, will not be overcome what they're evil, and, be, and perish away from God's presence, but will have eternal life. And remember, that's not just eternal as in like length of time. Eternal life is a quality, is a, qu- is a quantitative thing, not just of time, but of quality. It's a qualitative word. And so that leads us into this big question, the big one that I've been trying to answer all week. Why in the heck was Jesus baptized? I mean, I don't, why why did Jesus be baptized? Like, I don't understand this. Like, Jesus was perfect. He didn't need salvation or repentance because this was a baptism, right, of repentance, like we talked about last week. But Jesus had nothing to be baptized in repentance for. He had nothing to repent of. He was perfect, as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter five. He made the one who did not know sin, you know, was, was familiarized did sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might or would become the righteousness of God. I mean, you know, the question is like, didn't Jesus like all, always have the Holy Spirit? He always had the Holy Spirit. He, didn't, he was never one time had the Holy Spirit in and, and union with, with the Trinity of God. And then all of a sudden he was born into mankind and didn't until this moment. Because there are some people that would actually preach that. There's, there's people. There used to be a, an old school heresy that still comes up every once in a while today. That Jesus was just simply a miraculous birth that uh, grew up. And then this was like the time when he became God. Like the Holy Spirit came upon a man and made him divine. This is called Arianism, and surprisingly, it's becoming up, up more and more these days in, in theological realms, which is weird. But uh, this word Arian, this Arianism is that basically Jesus and you know, Jesus was not divine until the Holy Spirit came upon him. So basically, then the Holy Spirit left him on the cross, and so God killed a man, but God didn't. God didn't, You know, Jesus himself didn't actually die. Some other dude that was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And pfft, that's wrong. Can you get and so another question is like, can you get more of the Holy Spirit? Now there's like there's there's there may be more elements of this where you can grow in glory, grow in the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, grow in your relationship and, and your feelings of connectedness to God, but you can't get more or less of the Holy Spirit. You either got the Holy Spirit or you don't. said so if you have the son you have the holy spirit if you don't have the holy spirit then you don't have the son the, the two are kind of intermingled the, the two are interlocked and you have to have both in order to have either one so to have jesus is to have the holy spirit um matthew matthew ch- uh, chapter three kind of answers this question too because i kept answer, asking the question so uh Matthew seems to record a, a portion uh, of Jesus that uh, that we're talking about here. He says, this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. What is the context? Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, allow it for now. Because in this way, it is. It, this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. It's kind of funny. He allowed God to do something. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heaven suddenly opened up for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well, pleased." John understood this. John understood who he was. You know, I'm unable to untie your sandals. I mean, that was a slave's job in that culture. He's saying, I need you. John even recognized this. I, you don't need me. If anything, Jesus, I need you. I need you to baptize me. I need your blood to immerse me. I need your presence to overflow on me and to cover me in and on and in and through I love the picture of a sponge. It's basically like it becomes a part of the sponge. You know, when you set a sponge in something, it covers it and then infiltrates it through and through. It becomes a part of its very core being. And even more so, the Holy Spirit's anointing upon someone. God's, you know, Jesus' blood out onto onto someone, it immerses you. It infiltrates you. It changes your core spiritual DNA. It changes everything that you are. Everything everything that you think. And John saying, "I need that. I need you." But Jesus said, "This is the way that we are to you know, for us to fulfill all righteousness." Now, what does that mean? To fulfill prophecy through Scripture. To per, to, to fulfill what you know, God's plan is. So going all the way back, there's several passages where there's this going through the water in order to come out different on the other side. Like for instance, Moses in the Red Sea. So you know, Moses gets up to the Red Sea and God, God divides the, the Red Sea and they go through the Red Sea as they're coming out of slavery. So they're coming out of slavery through the Red Sea, being you know, baptized, in, you know, going through the Red Sea and then coming out the other side, free. That's what baptism does. You start in slavery to, to sin and death in the grave over here, and you know, a slave to the world, and then you get you go through your own Red Sea of, the, of baptism into Christ, and you come out the other side free. You're free from the junk, you're free from the guilt, you're free from the shame, you're free from the sin. You're free, and now you are free to walk with God by God's Spirit leading you. And then what do we see? We see like Joshua and the Jordan River, the Jordan waters. The Jordan, you know, coming through. And so they're wandering through, and then Joshua comes up there, and the the guys with with the Ark of the Covenant go into the water. It stops the river, and all of Israel goes through the riverbed and comes out the other side. They're freed from slavery. They're now being led by God, and now they get to go and enjoy the goodies. The goodies is the land of flowing with milk and honey, as they talked about, going into, go into the land that God promised them. This beautiful land of lushness. Like in, in Psalm 23, the good shepherd, leading them to, to still waters, leading them to lush pastures. This is a picture of Israel, of the, the promised land, and for us, this is what we're baptized into. We are baptized into the lush kingdom of God. His, the presence of His Spirit, the presence of His encouragement. This is, is it, man, I tell you what, it is so easy to get discouraged today, isn't it? It's so easy to, to get discouraged with con- you know with conversations with people in this world with you know of course social media news we've been we've been talking about for, gosh for I don't even know how long. It's so easy, just to scroll and be like, no, I was happy, <laughs> not anymore. Even like your know, local news and stuff so like that. You know, read the Bozeman Daily Chronicle or read the Belgrade News, just about local stuff. And you're just like, oh, God. It seems like there's so much that we can make us discouraged. But that's why this promise of Jesus' baptism as this way that we are baptized into his promised land, that he is the good shepherd, like Psalm 23, that leads us to still waters, that leads us to green pastures, that we don't have to be settled with the world's you know, emptiness, starving. We have the living waters within us. That's what baptism does. It's not just like when we baptize when we come out of it. It's like we we're baptized into it, and now it's like this constant like fountain, like, like, like spilling out. It's now the baptism that's within us that we baptize others with. Let me encourage you with this. Let me love you with that. Let me serve you with that. Let me bear your burdens with this. It's, a, it's this constant flowing out, overflowing of the living waters of the Holy Spirit that descended upon Jesus and now descends upon others through us. We are the presence of God on this earth spilling out onto others. We are the heavens being broken open and God's Spirit pouring out and descending upon people all around us. But the image is not the dove. The image is you. You are an image of Jesus. Jesus. Through the way that you live your life. You are that Shekinah glory of God walking this earth because you have the Holy Spirit within you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit walking this earth. And this specifically, this, this, this instance right here, another you know, big why is we see this almost like this inauguration that Jesus doesn't need to be baptized to, you know, for repentance. because, Like I said, he didn't have anything to repent of. This was almost like with David, this anointing saying, you are king. This is the anointing of Jesus saying, you are Messiah. You are the one that is able to save. You are the one that is able to deliver. This anointing of Jesus for his mission To take, I'm sorry, to, to seek and to save the lost. The day of his baptism was the inauguration of God's kingdom on this earth. As Jesus would say, "The kingdom of heaven is here. It's here. Through me, I am the inauguration of the kingdom of God on this earth." And what is Jesus's mission? What is he being inaugurated? Two, not as a, a physical king or president saying, I'm you know, coming over here and I'm just you know, opening this office of the God-elect. No, he came to create a new creation, cultivate a new creation, a new kingdom, a new nation within all nations, a new culture altogether. A culture that is counter-cultural to the rest of culture. I love this word. It's an inauguration of insurrection. We are storming the gates, storming the doors, bursting open with our you know vest, with our Viking helmets into the world and saying, Come at me, bro. We are we are here. This is the insurgence of the kingdom of God in our world. Not just trying to take over. We're not trying to take over a country like America or Russia or China. We are taking over creation itself. Everywhere our footsteps is new territory for the kingdom of God. We are taking back God's creation from the enemy. We are... And, you know, we are beating the insurgence against the world's value system. We have to have that in our mind. Being insurgents against the world's value system. And that's what baptism does. It is the way that we enter into this great insurgence. It's the way that we enter into the kingdom of God, by salvation. This is a radical exchange of allegiance and loyalties. As I've preached it, and I've preached it, and I've preached it, I'm going to preach it again. We pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ and his kingdom alone. We pledge allegiance to no other leader, no other country, no other nation besides God's. The, 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 the dice have been cast. We are, as I just said, this great rebel alliance. I saw that text message. That is who we are. That is what the church is breaking ranks with the world's values, breaking ranks from pledging allegiance to a nation and pledging allegiance only to God. What would it look like for you if you never again said the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States of America? Instead, stood there with your hand over your heart and pledged your allegiance to God. I pledge allegiance to the Lord our God, to Jesus Christ and him alone. One nation, one kingdom, united under under Christ with grace, love, truth, and joy. Because this word, metanoia, that we were talking about last week, Metanoia is not just this, like, repent spiritually. This word metanoia for them in in this ancient near, Near East world was a military phrase. Every time a new Caesar or a leader would come in and take over the country, the first words out of the herald's mouth when they were coming into the town that was now underneath Roman rule was metanoia. And believe the good news that you are now Roman citizens. You don't have to worry about being part of that dirty, broke Israelites. Basically just proclaiming it over them. Like, well, if you don't agree, then you can just be taken over and slaughtered with by our military. Good luck with that. This was a radical insurgence of the gospel of Jesus saying, Metanoia, change your thinking, change your mind, because the kingdom of God is here. So change your mind. Metanoia because the kingdom of God is here. This is Jesus, you know, anointing and commissioning for preaching this gospel, good news of metanoia, change, repentance from the world's value systems and and you know and consummating these things through a baptism of metanoia and that's what this is you know Jesus's baptism and Jesus's message they're the same thing they're the same thing this is how to enter into God's kingdom metanoia and believe the gospel the good news metanoia change your mind and be baptized be immersed into this truth and live that truth and live that truth only this is how baptism as Jesus as Jesus said fulfills all Righteousness. Jesus rolls back all of the consequences of Adam's sin by believing in Jesus and being baptized with Him. You know, as it says, Jesus was baptized. As I said, Jesus was also baptized. That word also. Jesus was baptized also among you know the same baptism that everyone else was being baptized into. Why? because this was the way he was joining the ranks of humanity. He was joining the ranks of people to seek and to save the lost by joining with the lost, merging John's movement with his movement, a baptism of repentance and change and change of mind, denial of the world's value system and bringing apart, you know, bringing with him the anointing and the pouring out of the Holy spirit and smashing them together into one mission. Because what happens after, after Jesus is baptized? John's like, well, okay, I'm, I, I can just back up now. You know, he must become greater and I must become lesser. He must increase and I must decrease. My mission has been fulfilled. And then he was arrested shortly after, as we read about last week, and then beheaded later on because he had fulfilled his purpose. Now, this is where, this is where I want to leave us this morning. God opened up the heavens and ascended to us by his baptism so we could ascend into his presence through the veil to the throne of grace by our baptism with him. As Romans 6 will later say, being baptized in a baptism like his into death, dying to ourselves, Dying to the world's value systems, and being raised with Him to walk in the newness of life. You know, let's look at let's look at that. You know, there's, there's just the ordinariness of this situation. It's just ordinary water. I've been there. It's just water. It's, it's green. I even you know took a little bottle and you know dipped it in there, and it's got a whole bunch of little floaties and stuff, and it's just like a normal river. You know, flowing out of this mountain. It's cold. Oh, it's cold. Oh, my gosh. We always used to say, like, you know, when the baptismal was broken growing up, that we're uh, we're having a Jordan experience. We're going to be baptized just like Jesus was. Very cold water. Just normal water, normal trees, normal rocks. But he turned the ordinary extraordinary by his presence and by his baptism. This is no longer just some ordinary river. Let's look at the temple. You know, the veil was torn. This so the, the, the temple, like we said, you know, the presence of God that they believed during you know amongst them at that at that point, at that time, he was living in there and it was it was closed in by this big old you know, tapestry, this big old veil that was hanging down in front of the entrance. And when Jesus died, God it, it said the Bible says that it was ripped from top. To bottom, because if, if persons, if humans had ripped it, it would have been ripped from you know, the bottom. You know, someone would grab it at the bottom and ripped it like that. But God ripped it from top to bottom, saying that we have access to God, but also more specifically, that God's Spirit is now being poured out. There's these prophecies all in the old scripture of this river flowing out of the temple. This is what we're seeing here in scripture, is that when the the veil was torn, God's Holy Spirit broke out and spilled out everywhere, bringing life even down to the depths of the Dead Sea, to the deadest of persons, to the deadest of, of societies, to the deadest of dead. He poured out, the veil was torn, and the Spirit broke out and poured on all humanity that metanoia and baptism are now accessible to all which is why we have now full access to come into his presence, to come into the throne room of God with confidence. Ephesians 3 says, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable, incalculable riches of Christ. And to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for all ages in God who created all things. This is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to the eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us. So Jesus was inaugurated. Now we're being inaugurated for us, a new and living way through the curtain that is through his own flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Come into his presence. You're not just simply... Because we can. Not just simply because, oh, I don't have to be afraid of God anymore. Oh, okay, cool. All right. I guess, well, I'll go every once in a while. I'll go, I'll, I'll pray. But I, can't, I can. I can. As long as I know I can, God, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be available. I'll go and, and meet with you whenever I come kind of feel like it. Versus understanding that God's presence, God's throne, God's very existence, God's, God's reality and what Paul would call the third heaven, the Father's presence, where Jesus is now seated next to the Father in his own throne, surrounded by 24 elders that are constantly singing, "Holy, holy, holy, is the Lord God Almighty, worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive all glory and honor? It's not only that we can go and join him in that presence, but that is where we rightfully belong. So we can enter into his presence. Not just because we're okay and can, but because God is saying, come. Come on, this is where you belong. This is your true home. Hey, come up and jump onto my lap. Let me, let me cuddle with you for a while. God's presence is where you belong. Eternity is where our minds belong. This brings us confidence in living as children of God. It says in First John, in persecution and oppression and believing that God hears you and confidence in living to see salvation in others. This is our rightful place, and this is how it manifests into every area of our lives. So when we're persecuted and oppressed, we can go back into the presence of God. When we feel like God is, that, you know, that we're, we, we're kind of out of touch with eternity, we can go into the presence of God in confidence and realize that at every moment— God uses our ordinary circumstances to cultivate an extraordinary kingdom culture. Whether it's at work, at home, when with people, in your act groups, with friends and family. God shifts these ordinary places into sacred. You know, the, Like I said, the river, you know, his baptism, baptism, baptism itself. Our prayer, our conversation, like I said, with family and coworkers, restaurants, flights. Social media, car rides, coffee shops, pubs, breweries. Ordinary spaces of our lives, God desires to transform into sacred spaces. Ordinary circumstances of our everyday lives, God desires to transform into sacred opportunities. Ordinary relationships, God wants to shift into sacred community. Because our ordinary spaces... Are packed with extraordinary potential. Because of who we are, because of who you are, because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. You are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and can come into the throne room of God anytime, not just because you're allowed but because it's your rightful place. And we take that experience with us into the rest of our lives so that God can create extraordinary things. All these just ordinary places in our lives. God wants to transform. So be in prayer with him throughout your daily lives. God, how do you want to shift this ordinary situation into extraordinary this ordinary conversation into extraordinary, into a sacred moment. How do you want me to interact in this moment to do your will, Lord? Holy Spirit, we we come before you today recognizing that you, Lord Jesus, are our source of strength and hope in this world. Nothing else can satisfy, Lord, Nothing else even comes close to your glory. So Lord, I pray right now in this moment that you would work in our lives. That you would open up our minds. God, I think that's the that's the hardest thing, God, even for me, just Lord, just all of us, Lord, have this. We just we see the ordinary things all around us as physical and tangible with our senses. But Lord, I pray that you would you would, that you would intercede, that you would intervene and open up our minds, open up our hearts to the sacredness of each moment, of each conversation, with each client, each customer, each person that we inter- interact with, and in our own spiritual lives with you, Lord Jesus, how can we experience your glory in your throne room in prayer? <clears throat> well, we pray for your presence, the power of your presence to be unleashed into our ordinary so that you will create extraordinary for your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in your kingdom, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we thank you and praise you for all this. In Jesus' name, amen.